Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Gen Z Economist Show. I'm your host, Jarrett Templeton, and in today's episode, we're going to take a look at the impending financial crisis and how you can protect yourself from the crash. Stick around because later on in the show, I'll give you the number one tip on how you can protect yourself from uncertainty. So if you're here, you probably already understand that the United States is in hot water financially, but it never hurts to evaluate the situation so we can make the most informed decisions. And if you don't believe that, well, hopefully I can kind of show you some things and maybe convince you of where we're at. So this podcast is not financial advice by any means, but rather examples of what I'm doing personally or what I might recommend to a family member. So, you know, you have to make your own decisions and legally you have to say that, but, you know, think of this, think of what's going on and think through all of these things. So where are we? Well, why should you care? You know, there's historically, there's always been financial crisis. There's always been a collapse. You know, in the case of Weimar Germany, you know, in the 1920s and 30s, there was hyperinflation. So, you know, their money became essentially worthless. And, you know, I know that's another country, but it's just an example of how it can happen in a Western uh, Western country. You also have the Great Depression in the United States in the 30s, where, um, you know, the stock market really crashed and people lost all of their life savings in some cases. We had the uh, 1987 stock market crash. That was a more recent one. And then we also had the 2008 crash. So there's a lot of uh, times throughout history, and we're kind of just mainly focusing on Western countries and, and, and you know, over the last hundred years or so. But there's a lot more than that, especially if you look at other countries like Zimbabwe and Venezuela. So economic crisis is very possible. So we just don't want to bury our heads in the sand and say that this can't happen to us because it, it very well could. So let's take a look at some things and see where we're at in the world. So we're going to kind of look at this as an analogy. So think of the um, global economic system as a big jet plane flying along at about 40,000 feet. And inside the cockpit of this plane, there's dozens of indicators and warning lights that could all go off and indicate problems with the various systems of the plane. So some of these systems are more critical than others. So let's just say an issue with the lavatory, it might be a major inconvenience, but it's not going to bring the plane down. It's not going to you know, force the plane down because of it's not able to fly anymore. You know, the plane could even lose an engine and still be able to land. It's going to be more dangerous, but this does happen. You know, however, as, as long as there's you know, more engines able to keep it afloat or in the air, you know, you can lose one maybe two. However, as more warning lights come on and more of these systems starts to fail in the plane, the chances of the plane landing safely start to drop rapidly. So sure, one economic warning light you know, going off may not indicate a looming stock market crash or a looming financial crisis. But in the case of the United States and the stock market, all of our warning lights are flashing red right now. So let's take a look at those warning lights. You know, let's look at the banking crisis. So We've had several bank failures. We have Silicon Valley Bank, uh, you know, First Republic, and Signature Bank. So these banks alone are uh, larger failures. They had more assets under management than the uh, 25 plus banks that went under during the great financial crisis. So in a matter of months, we've lost three major banks. You know, some of the largest bank failures in U.S. history, only rivaled by Washington Mutual. That was the largest bank at about 307 billion. You know, but these other banks like First Republic, Silicon Valley, and Signature are far past that, you know, because there's three of them, and they all pass the banks that have ha uh, collapsed over time. So this is a major warning light, you know, a huge banking crisis, you know, major banks dropping like flies with more to come. You know, there's a lot of regional banks that are in really hot water right now with their loan situation, with their commercial real estate that they've loaned out. So we're, we're going to see more banks go down. Uh, for sure, but it, it, even if just these three went down, that's a huge warning light. So that's just one of the indicators, but that's not good. So let's see, what else is going on? 
Well, the United States credit default swap. So the credit default swap, if you don't know what that is, that is kind of like an insurance policy. So whenever you think someone that owes you money isn't going to pay you back, you can take out a credit default swap. So if you think that the United States government isn't going to pay back the treasury bond that it owes you, you can go to an insurance company. You can say, hey, I'll pay you uh, a premium, you know, a few, a fraction of the amount of money that they owe me. And you'll guarantee that if they collapse, that you'll pay, say, 95% of the bond that they owed me. So it's kind of, kind of taking out an insurance policy. In the event that the U.S. government can't pay their money back, you know, this, this other company will. That will pay you or another bank. So the price of those premiums is skyrocketing. So what does that mean? Well, you know, like insurance premiums, if there's more risk, there's you know higher costs associated with that. So the higher the likelihood of the United States defaulting on its treasuries or its debt, you know, means there's going to be a higher price to pay to have somebody else pay that money back because the chances are going up. So the free market is predicting that the uh, United States government is not going to pay its debt back, or at least on time. You know, we'll probably see those that, you know, of course, the treasuries will be paid at some point. The government and the Fed will print more money to pay them off, which will lead to inflation. But it's not going to happen right away because the so far, you know, there's a gridlock over the debt ceiling being raised. So the free market is predicting that that will not be resolved in time for the government to continue functioning without a shutdown. So the free market is predicting a shutdown with some of the highest credit default swap prices we've seen since 2011. So that is not a great sign. So we have a couple of warning lights on now. So that's two, two major ones. So that's not great. So what else is going on? Well, we have the yield curve. If you don't know what the yield curve is, it's kind of the uh, the interest rate on a U.S. treasury. So treasuries come in different lengths, different time periods. You know, you can get one for a one month. So that means you'll they'll hold your money for a month, and then you get paid that money back with interest. And there's a thirty year. So there's a range between that. But basically, you should see the yield curve going up. You know, over time, you should there's more risk associated with that that asset. So if you buy a 30-year treasury bond, you have to hold it to maturity. You got to wait 30 years to get your money back plus some interest. Well, if you're waiting 30 years, there's a lot that can happen in 30 years. It can be wars, you know, inflation, that kind of thing. And the price of the dollar may not be there, you know, in 30 years. It could be much lower. So you're taking a lot more risk to let them hold your money for that long. So you should get paid more money and you should get paid more interest. So there should be a higher rate of uh, interest rate on a 30-year treasury than a one month. But that's not what we're seeing. The yield curve is inverted. So that means you're getting paid more money to hold a U.S. Treasury for one month than you are for, say, 20 years or 30 years. So that's bad. Whenever the yield curve inverts, that's a major sign of a looming economic crisis. And in this case, this is one of the most inverted um, yield curves we've ever seen. A great way, just a quick tip, if you want to know when the crisis is about to happen, right about to happen, you can look at the two-year and the 10-year treasury yield. So the 10-year the should be higher than the two-year because there's more risk associated with that. But right now, the 10-year is lower than the two-year. So whenever that normalizes again, whenever the 10-year goes back to having a higher interest rate than the two-year treasury, that's when you know it's about to go down. So just a little quick tip there. So that's a more warning lights that we have on. So what else is going on? Well, we have consumer debt. Consumer debt, you know, credit card balances in the U.S. are the highest they have ever been, well above pre-pandemic levels. So in 2020, uh, you know, consumer debt actually kind of decreased quite a bit because of all the stimulus checks. You know, people paid off their credit card debt, and so we kind of had a little bit of a reset as far as consumer debt goes. 
and they kind of uh, lingered on until about mid 2021 and then it has been taking off ever since 2021 so especially over the last year we've seen massive increases in credit card debt you know somewhere around 300 billion dollars almost in uh, in a few years that's a lot of money and it's continuing to go up this number is from january so by this point it could be much much higher and we won't really know those levels but it's um it's continuing to increase so as people are racking up debt with their credit cards they're doing that because of inflation so they're having to pay for their gasoline they're having to pay for their food their rent all of these things are going up in price but their paycheck isn't going up in price so to kind of hold them over in the meantime they can just make payments on a credit card and remember these credit cards have you know 20 30 percent interest rates so that's a huge amount of debt it's a huge amount of interest that's going to be paid on that debt so these this is a bad sign for the american economy and the consumer because it means we're running out of credit when, whenever those people max out those credit cards they're going to go bankrupt and they're not going to, be able to pay anything back and that's when we're really going to see uh, continued crashing but this means that people are spending a lot of money on credit that they don't have so demand is falling off though at the same time so this is a huge warning light that consumer debt has hit this peak so what else we got inflation so inflation really took off after 2020 i wonder why some of the ways that governments responded to the pandemic you know like the federal reserve printed a whole bunch of cash you know all these stimulus check programs they added money into the system that didn't exist before. It's literally money printing. So, you know, when there's more money chasing the same amount of goods and uh, goods and services, that's inflation. So inflation has gone up tremendously over the last three years. You know, 7%, 6.5%, 4.9% we're on track for right now in 2023. And that's using the CPI. So the consumer price index. The consumer price index is a cherry-picked basket of goods that the government measures and they've set up this basket to artificially lower the inflation that's shown so they're claiming you know 4.9 percent this year well look at your grocery bill look at your gas bill and look at your rent did it go up by four percent or was it more than that you know the government is you know fudging these numbers down to make themselves look better so if they're saying if they're admitting to that much inflation you can bet it's probably double that or more so inflation is a huge warning light going off here. It's affecting Americans. So what else? We got lumber prices. Lumber prices have been tanking over the last year. So why are lumber prices important? Well, lumber prices, and it, uh, the way I know this is to the uneducated economist. He's a great YouTuber. If you haven't seen him, check him out. He works in a lumber yard. You know, it has his finger really right on the pulse of the United States because as lumber prices come down, well, that means that demand is coming down. So when um, people were building houses, you know, lumber prices soared. Like in 2020, people were renovating their house, building new houses, moving out of states and moving into other states that maybe had more freedom. So there's a huge demand for building. So as that demand tapers off, well, it's also a great way to see how the housing market's doing. So the housing market is coming down in prices. People are building less. Builders aren't able to build. Houses aren't getting sold. And a part of that is because the economy is slowing down. So if the economy is roaring, you know, people are making money hand over fist, well, they're going to have more money to spend on a house. They're going to be able to buy a house or upgrade their house. But we're not seeing that. We're seeing people not buying houses and people not upgrading their house. So lumber prices are tanking. That's a huge warning light and a great kind of way to see where the economy is doing. So uh, we have uh, basically we have a lot of warning lights are all going off and that's not good. So we know that there's an impending crash. So like we talked about with our analogy here, there's a lot of things wrong with the United States economy. That means that a crash is much more likely to happen sooner than later. 
you know, we have the, the yield curve, we have the uh, credit default swaps, you know, lumber prices, everything is indicating that something big is about to happen and it's not good. So how can we protect yourself? Well, get out of stocks. You don't want to be in the stock market. You know, looking at the 07, uh, 08 financial crisis, the great financial crisis, GFC, you know, people lost uh, quite a lot of money. So all of the indexes lost over 50%. So if you had your money in the stock market, you could have lost 50% or more of your money. So that's a huge chunk, especially when you're putting your retirement in there. Uh, you know, some people, especially older people, they don't have a lot of time to make that money back. So if you're old and you lose half your retirement, that's really going to change your quality of life. So you don't want to be in that. So if you can get out of stocks, if you have a 401k, look at transferring that to maybe another retirement fund that gives you more control over where your money's at. You can still have some of those retirement fund benefits, but you don't want it in a system that's controlled by someone else where you can't move your money in and out. So be very careful where you have your money placed, especially like your retirement account, because you're not going to be one holding a lot of these stocks. So a lot of warning lights are on. So how can you protect yourself uh, going further? Own precious metals. You know, precious metals are a hedge against inflation. I like the 1080-10 portfolio, you know, holding 10% of precious metals as your insurance policy. Holding 10% of assets that are speculative in price. You know, something that you think is going to go up. This could be your Facebook, Tesla, you know, those kind of thing, growth stocks, or even just regular stocks, which you're going to want to hold 80% of assets that pay you to own them. So I kind of like holding about 10% of precious metals, um, but you can own gold mines, silver mines, you know, precious metal mines if you want, and maybe you get a dividend off of owning that, so it's paying you to own it. Um, but you want to look at owning precious metals because they preserve your purchasing power. So you're going to want to preserve your purchasing power because we know the stock market could crash, the dollar's not looking real good, it looks like the United States government's going to default on its debt soon, and if it does, you know, it's going to send the dollar uh, further down against other currencies. So you want to kind of put your purchasing power into something real, or at least into something safer than the dollar system. So if you want to own companies, you know, if you have to keep a 401k or some kind of stock portfolio, you want to own companies that own real assets. So we're not talking about Facebook here or Twitter. You know, they own uh, an asset, but it's not something that people need. You don't have to have Twitter every day to live. You might think you do, but you don't. But looking at oil companies, you know, people need energy every single day. You need gasoline. You need heat. You need electricity. And these oil companies, they own refineries. They own wells. They own mines. They own, um, you know, oil rigs. So these are all things that they own, and those assets have a value. Not only does the oil that they have under the ground that they have the rights to have value, but the machinery that gets that oil out and turns it into usable products, that's worth something. So looking at companies that own something like that, it's a great way to kind of preserve your power. At least, you know, the, the stock value could change or the price of the dollar could change. But at the end of the day, those asset, those assets they own have a real physical value. Whereas like Twitter, Facebook, there's some value to the, the servers, I'm sure. If they own their servers, they probably don't. Um, but there's some some value, but it, it can really drop because you know Twitter is not a product that people have to pay for or they have to have. So looking at assets that are real. Again, mines, like gold and silver mines, if you want to expose yourself to precious metals, you can buy miners. You know, these companies, they have mines, you know, the the they own the metals under the ground, so they might have several million ounces of metals in the ground that they just, or million ounces of metals that they haven't mined yet. So, you know, buying these companies gives you exposure to not only the metal, uh, but the company itself. It could pay dividends. So, you want to look at these mines. It can be a great way uh, to kind of save some of your purchasing power and put that into real assets. So, what else? If you're going to own companies in the stock market, 
foreign companies can be a great way to kind of protect yourself from the dollar because if you have a company that pays you dividends in another currency, say like Great British Pounds or Pesos, that kind of thing, well, if the dollar is going down in, in value against those currencies, well, when you're getting paid dividends in those foreign currencies and they get converted, well, you're still going to get the same amount of purchasing power that that foreign currency had when it's converted to dollars. You know, your, your purchasing power is getting preserved through foreign currencies. And I think we're really going to see the dollar dip against foreign currencies. Look at how the world is de-dollarizing. You know, we have the BRICS nations. We have all these countries looking to get off the dollar because they see how we've weaponized it. You know, we impose sanctions on other countries that do things we don't like. You know, we cut off funding and then we, we print money from thin air to, to fund our services in the United States. So other countries are really looking to get away from the dollar so you can kind of profit from that trade or at least protect yourself from that move by owning foreign companies. So what else can you do? You can look at real assets like real estate, farmland, you know, trucks, watches, um, you know, art. These are things that are physical, they're real, they have some underlying value because they exist and you can touch them and use them in certain useful ways. So like how, real estate, you could rent that out, you can live in it, you know, if you buy a house. But you have to be careful, you know, housing prices are very high right now. We're clearly in a housing bubble adjusted for inflation. Housing prices are the highest they've ever been. They're coming down slowly, so I think the bubble is popping. Uh, we haven't seen that really pop yet, but it's starting to deflate a little. But you have to realize the asset there might not be the real estate itself. It could be the mortgage. So if you're putting a house on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage at a low interest rate or as low as you can get, well, we're probably going to see uh, inflation continue. You know, the way that things are going, we're going to have a very high inflationary decade. So if inflation continues to increase, well, over the next decade or two, the money that you're paying that mortgage payment with is going to be worth a lot less. And, you know, your income is going to increase over time. It may not increase in real terms, but in nominal terms, you know, as inflation continues, you know, wages will go up, not in real terms, but you're going to make more money. So, so those dollars you're paying uh, the mortgage with are going to be worth much less. So you're essentially getting the house in real terms for a fraction of the dollars that it's worth. So that mortgage could really be the asset there. Also farmland, you know, you could live on the farm, you could rent the farm out, you know, uh, food prices are going to be going up. Agriculture prices are going up as energy prices go up. You know, food is a function of energy. It takes a lot of oil to make the fertilizers and to run the tractors and to ship all the food. So you know, food prices are going to go up. So owning a farm could be a great way to protect yourself from inflation or even living on one, you know, growing your own food can give you some more freedom. So that's a great place to kind of spend your money if you're looking to get it out of the markets. I think work trucks are good, uh, a good way to kind of store some money, maybe not all of it, but it could be something you want to own, especially if you buy like an older diesel truck that can run on like vegetable oil. Um, that can be a great way to save on fuel, especially with energy prices going up. With those older diesel trucks, you know, they have a lot of value because, you know, they just run, uh, your people can use them, they can tow a lot, and they just don't break down, and they're cheaper to fix, easier to fix. So those trucks have a, a value built in, and new trucks are super expensive, uh, and they break down a lot. So I think owning an older diesel truck could be a great way to kind of store some purchasing power just because there's a lot of demand. You know, you want to get like a 4x4, there's a big demand for that in areas like the Northeast, uh, the United States, where there's a lot of bad weather. So those are those are great assets to hold on to because people are going to need trucks, you know, into the future. But I wouldn't put all your money there. It was me. Um, also, Rolexes, artwork, you know, that can be a very dense way to store your money. You know, having a Rolex that you can wear across a border if you had to leave the country or travel somewhere, you know, that's 
you know, 15, 20K you can have on your wrist that you don't have to declare when you go through an airport. So that's kind of cool because if you had cash, you'd have to declare that. And that can just bring legal scrutiny and problems in the picture. But if you have a Rolex, that's purchasing power you have on your wrist. So um, now in an economic collapse, I don't know if that Rolex is going to get you $20,000 because at that point, people might not be interested in buying one. You know, they might rather buy food or a cheaper watch. So you have to kind of realize that, but it can be a great way to store some of your purchasing power in a way that can travel borders. So think of that. There's also crypto. I don't like investing in crypto, but I think for getting across borders, that's a great way to do it. So we know that there's a lot of warning lights on. We know there's things we have to do uh, to protect ourselves because there's an impending crisis and there's several ways that we can protect ourselves, but we need to do that. So if you have somebody, a family member, or somebody that you want to show this to, it would really help out the channel and it can give them some information on you know what's going on and what they can do to help themselves and protect their wealth and their freedom. Uh, because you know historically, there have been financial crises where people have lost all their money. So we want to protect ourselves, protect your loved ones, you know, share this podcast. If you could leave a like, subscribe, leave a comment down below. It really helps out the channel. It lets me know that you guys enjoy what I'm doing here and are getting some value out of that. So thank you for watching. Have a great day.